welcome to United Health Group's three-part series on healthcare policy, where we're taking a deep dive into a path forward. It's a set of policy solutions released by United Health Group that offer a refreshed perspective for how to modernize the health system to achieve universal coverage, make healthcare affordable by accelerating value-based care and reforming prescription drug pricing, and transform the healthcare experience by focusing on equity and addressing disparities. You can download the full document at www.uhg.com slash a path forward. In our final episode, we're taking a closer look at how to transform the healthcare experience, in part by advancing health equity to help ensure everyone has access to high quality care. For many Americans, the current health system feels fragmented and disjointed. Consumers used to making a purchase with a couple of taps on their phone are often frustrated by the complexities of the healthcare system. And for historically underserved communities, those challenges are often exacerbated for any number of reasons, including, for example, lack of diversity within the health workforce. Here to talk about some of the policy solutions that can help address health disparities, advance health equity, and enhance the healthcare experience is Dr. Carolyn Brooks, Vice President of Quality, Strategy, Innovation, and Experience at United Healthcare Medicare and Retirement, and Dr. Wyatt Decker, CEO of Optum Health. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Evan. Great to be here. Great. Well, let's um, jump right in. The um, COVID-19 pandemic certainly highlighted a lot of things about healthcare in the United States. Uh, One of them is pervasive disparities that exist based on race, ethnicity, income level, and even where you live. Uh, Dr. Brooks, how have you seen health equity come front and center over the past two plus years of the pandemic? Yes, so there has been a lot of talk about health equity lately, so much so that it's become a bit of a buzzword, but it's it's not a buzzword for us. In fact, I'd say that health equity is nothing short of the measure of our mission, which is to help people live healthier lives and to help make the health system work better for everyone. And we've been at this for a long time with a variety of programs and philanthropic efforts to advance health equity over the past 20 years, though there's still much more work to do as health equity is only achieved when every person has an opportunity to attain their healthiest life without any social, economic, or environmental barriers. But today we all know that there are still far too many barriers to good health that are disproportionately experienced by people of color, historically marginalized groups, and those with lower incomes. For example, we need to look no further than the maternal mortality statistics in the U.S., where Black and Native American women are two to three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than their white counterparts. We also know that more than half of rural counties do not have a hospital with obstetrics care, causing many to delay or avoid care altogether. And unfortunately, these maternal deaths and related disparities have only increased during the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, certainly some startling statistics there. Uh, I guess understanding that broader perspective, um, what can be done from a policy standpoint to address those disparities? And Dr. Brooks, I'll start with you and then would love to hear from you, Dr. Decker. Yeah, so I would say there are a number of actions that can be taken. First, continued investment in and a focus on data-driven understanding of health disparities and social determinants of health are necessary to help identify gaps in the system so we can pinpoint those policy and other solutions and, importantly, measure their effectiveness in advancing health equity. Related to maternal health, where the data is clear on racial and geographic inequities and maternal and birth outcomes, Medicaid policy is an important lever as Medicaid supports nearly half of all births in the U.S. and covers over 65% of Black births. 
ensuring access to high quality, comprehensive maternity benefits in Medicaid that support both the healthy pregnancy, but also extend that care, extends care during that critical postpartum period are necessary to reduce inequitable health outcomes. And finally, I know some other guests in the series have spoken about this, but I believe it's worth emphasizing. We need to be able to serve the health of the whole person, ensuring behavioral, physical health, and social needs are addressed together. So as we think about policy opportunities, integrating behavioral health into Medicaid managed care, along with medical benefits is key. Unfortunately, we've seen that COVID has exacerbated the health, mental health crisis in the U.S., especially for our children and adolescents. So ensuring that Medicaid programs provide multiple access points to both behavioral and physical health care for our children and adolescents is another critical policy need. Yeah, Dr. Brooks, just underscoring your last comments around behavioral health, it's so important. And it's interesting because most of us as people kind of have an intuitive sense that uh, that our mental health and well-being is deeply tied to our physical health and well-being. But for a bunch of historical reasons, the, the payer and provider community years ago began separating the two, treating them as if they're completely separate uh, entities. And uh, now we're involved across United Health Group on both the payer and the provider side, and frankly, a massive effort to, to bring it back together to what like, most people intuitively know how it should be, which is that when I or you or our loved ones go to get physical care of some sort, uh, there might be mental health or behavioral health care needs that would, would hopefully be addressed. And if you have behavioral health care needs, it's going to have a big impact on your medical or quote marks physical health care and so uh as we sometimes like to say it turns out that that for most of us hopefully the the head is connected to the body and uh, uh we believe deeply in uh, in real tactical ways in in bringing the two back together and that's a a big effort uh for us particularly is is on the provider side in uh, uh what we're doing in optum health is beginning to get better and better at embedding mental health services with our primary care providers. And sometimes we have the ability to actually have an, a, a, on the team with the care team, mental health expert that can be tapped at, at when and as needed. Sometimes it's a virtual solution. And to your point, Carolyn, around how we're, how the national epidemic of mental health needs has has just skyrocketed uh, we have to do better at scaling our offerings and so you'll see us continuing to roll out pretty innovative but i would say evidence-based and validated uh virtual and even self-paced digital self tools that people can leverage you know there is uh, much more focus on social determinants of health I think over the last several years, uh, and Dr. Brooks, I'm curious, you know, how does that intersect with medical care, uh, and what policies can help connect patients to the resources that they need in in that area? Yes. So, you know, 80% or more of our health is determined outside of a doctor's office. That means it's determined in our homes, our communities, our schools, and in our social networks. Um, there's a saying that your zip code is more important than your genetic code when it comes to health outcomes and life expectancy. This includes factors like poverty, the presence or absence of hospitals and health centers, air quality, and the effects of climate change. If you don't have access to nutritious food or a safe and stable place to call home, that is going to have a significant and adverse impact on your health. 
we have to look at life circumstances more holistically if we're going to be successful at eliminating health disparities and improving broader health outcomes. We, we must think outside of our traditional care settings, outside of hospitals, outside of clinics, into real life, into homes, as Dr. Decrement, virtual and home-based care, for example, where we can better understand the lived experience and environment influencing health outcomes. We know that within healthcare systems across the world, people are adversely impacted every single day, some even by death, not because we lack the knowledge to treat them, but because of inequities in the healthcare system and beyond that create these challenges in access, resources, and affordability. So we cannot truly modernize healthcare without, I would say, a relentless focus on equity and these broader social determinants. You know, Dr. Brooks couldn't agree more with her comments. And uh, I would add that what's really exciting to me is focusing on value-based care. Because when we have individuals who we care for in value-based care constructs, we're now very interested and able to provide support for inequities and barriers to getting good health care, which are the social determinants. And so we actually use uh, AI-enabled analytics to identify individuals with transportation insecurity, food insecurity, housing insecurity, and loneliness, because those are all big impacts on short-term and medium and long-term outcomes for healthcare. And I'm very excited because we're now able to begin the process of applying solutions, like having a van come to somebody's house to pick them up, or having a volunteer bring a, a cooked meal over to somebody's house, leveraging community resources and our own teams to help address social determinants. And, and in a value-based care construct, we're all aligned to make sure that people get high quality, comprehensive whole person care that helps keep them healthy and well. And sometimes that's care in the home. So I think you'll, you'll see us continuing to say, how do we identify and how do we help support individuals who have barriers to high quality healthcare and great health care outcomes. Yeah. Um, we know that the uh, healthcare workforce remains underrepresented by people of color. Our research shows about 16% of the health workforce is Hispanic and less than 12% uh, is black. So uh, Dr. Brooks, um, from your perspective, what can be done to improve those statistics? Yeah, it's important to note that the reality is that the demographic, the demographic landscape in the U.S. is changing. It is estimated that by around 2042 or so, the majority of Americans will be people of color. So we do need a clinical workforce that is more reflective of the people it serves. And this is important so that healthcare providers are able to speak the same language and provide care that is culturally appropriate for their patients. As at the end of the day, we all just want respectful and quality health care. Additionally, you know, I'd say that new research is beginning to show that culturally competent and congruent care may also affect health outcomes. For example, a recent study shows that although Black newborns are three times as likely to die as white newborns, their mortality rate is cut in half when they have a Black physician. The United Health Foundation, which is the philanthropic foundation of United Health Group, also recently announced a $100 million commitment over 10 years to help build a more racially and ethnically diverse health workforce. This funding is going to provide scholarships, support, and training for 5,000 future clinicians. It's going to provide financial support to upskill 5,000 health professionals. And while $100 million is a lot of money, 
it is just a start. And we are ramping up other efforts to support our own diverse clinical workforce at United Health Group. Yeah, you know, there are also uh, projected workforce shortfalls among nurses and, and doctors. And I'm curious from you, Dr. Decker, you know, how can those gaps be addressed going forward? Yeah, thanks, Evan. This is a, a crucial issue for our nation uh, and for us as providers. Uh, there's two factors. One is who's entering the workforce and the other is who's leaving. Uh, and starting with the second point, uh, we have a essentially another epidemic that's been a little quieter around physician and provider burnout. And the pandemic accelerated that, uh, which probably isn't a big surprise to our listeners. Uh, historically, in the past four or five years, most national surveys showed about 45 to 50% of physicians were reporting some degree of burnout. Um, and that leads to early retirements, career changes, and sadly, the national rate of suicide among physicians is substantially higher than the base population. So some really tragic consequences. Uh, so I think there's an enormous opportunity for us to really help lead the way in providing an environment where providers and physicians specifically, but also nurse practitioners, advanced practitioners, nurses, and others really flourish. And when you talk to providers, and Dr. Brooks and I have spent our careers in these spaces, um, you rapidly hear about the clerical burdens, about the difficulty of getting the work done. So, you know, healthcare workers actually are quite passionate about the work they provide, and they're not looking typically for less work. What they're looking for is to have maximum impact of their training and passion around helping others get well and stay well. Yeah, I'll, I'll reiterate what Dr. Dicker said. You know, doctors and clinicians did not enter this field to do paperwork. They entered this field because they felt called to help people. And these inefficiencies in the system negatively impact that provider experience, which we know in turn negatively impacts the patient experience. And I think I just reiterate, this is consistent with our view that the system must be modernized and made simpler for all who seek to deliver and receive care. And the other point in your earlier question was we also need to think about making healthcare appealing for young people deciding what they want to do in their career. And, uh, and so we're very interested in supporting early career all the way down to, you know, middle school age individuals and back to Dr. Brooks comments on diversity in the healthcare workforce that tethers nicely. So uh, we we're, we're very committed to creating exposure to young people and diverse young people on what a healthcare career can look like, uh, even as we work to make it more appealing and more sustainable for those who are in it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, thank you both for joining today. Uh, really important topic and, and appreciate both your uh, expertise. Thank, thank you. you. Great to be here. That's our third and final episode on United Health Group's policy solutions to modernize the health system. Thank you for listening and thank you to all our guests for providing their expertise. To learn more, download a path forward at www.uhg.com slash a path forward. <laughs> <laughs>